love to get you one. But Acts chapter 4, if you're new to the Bible, that's all right. Uh, it's right behind, right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, the New Testament. Acts chapter 4. Uh, we're going to spend the majority of our time today looking at verses 12 and 13. Uh, but what I want to do and what we're going to do is read verses 7 through 13 so we can put these verses in their proper context as we look at Solus Christus today. Now here in this section of scripture, John and Peter have been brought in front of the Sanhedrin. And you can think of the Sanhedrin kind of as like the supreme court of our time. They're, they were the, the top ruling authority in these times. Uh, this was the same court who played a part in the mock trials that resulted in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ himself. So uh, this assembly, they've got a ton of power. And here John and Peter are. They're brought before this group because they're preaching the gospel. And they had just healed a blind man in chapter 3 right before our text today. So they're doing the work of the Lord, and the people don't like it. So they bring them in front of this high court. So let's read verses 7 through 13. I'm going to read this for us, and then we'll ask the Lord to work through the teaching of his word. Verse 7 reads this. And when they had set them in the midst they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? This is in reference to the healing that had just taken place. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man. By what means this man has been healed. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And here's where we will focus today. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us so much. And Lord, oftentimes we take it for granted. We neglect the things of utmost importance for the things that are less significant. Lord, we confess that. 
So now we ask, God, that you would use this time to work in a way that only you can work. Lord, I pray that I would not be an obstacle to your speaking. Father, help us today. Lord, what we know not, would you teach us? What we are not, would you give us? What we have not, would you give us? By your grace, for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. So today we continue our study of the solas of the Reformation. And as I mentioned in the introduction in week one, we're looking at these fundamental truths of Christian doctrine in hopes that it would reorient any misconceptions that we may have while also strengthening our foundation as a church. Uh, Pastor Brandon spent the past two weeks wonderfully walking us through sola gratia, uh, which simply means grace alone, and sola fide, which simply means faith alone. And for anyone who may have missed these teachings, let me give you a quick summary of both. Sola gratia, by grace alone, means this. It teaches that nothing exists in us. There's nothing within us, and there's nothing that we can do to provoke God to forgive us. We cannot earn God's salvific favor. And on the contrary of, of, of that thinking that we could maybe earn it, we see that God is gracious to us because of Jesus Christ and because of him alone. Uh, simply put, sola gratia says this, God's grace is not earned by what you do, but is given freely by a generous and hospitable God. Sola fide continues in this thought, through faith alone. So we are saved by grace, through faith in Christ. That's fundamental. And I'm going to just read this from the statement of faith to kind of give us a description of sola fide. Uh, our statement of faith, our confession is from the 1853 New Hampshire Confession. And here's what it says. Since we believe the glorious gospel blessing that Christ secures, Wilson talked about that earlier, he secures to those who believe in him is called justification. Justification includes the pardon of sin, righteous standing before God and his people, and the promise of eternal life founded on principles of righteousness. And, and here's where this is important. So that's a little uh, of what justification, what, what faith is doing. And it says this, it is not given because of any works of righteousness we have done, but only through faith in the Redeemer's, Jesus's blood. By virtue of this faith, Christ's perfect righteousness is freely imputed. That just means given to us. It's an alien righteousness. It's given to you. You cannot earn it on your own. It says justification immediately brings us into a state of most blessed peace and favor with God and secures every other blessing we need for time. That's the time here on the earth and eternity. 
So simply put, we are justified, made right with God because of Christ's work and not our own. And we put our faith, we have a faith in his finished work on our behalf. And Jesus Christ is the object of that faith. Brothers and sisters, it is Christ in Christ alone. There's nothing you can do. And without Christ's work on our behalf, we would still be dead in our sins under the condemnation of holy creator God. Let me remind you that there's nothing you can do to add to the work of Jesus Christ. There's nothing we contribute. And this is the heart of the reformer's cry of solus Christus, which simply means in Christ alone. Solus Christus is the linchpin of the five solas. It's the epicenter of these truths. Christ alone is the centerpiece of the gospel. It is the focal point of all of Scripture. He is the head and ruler of all of creation. He alone is the sole mediator between God and man. The Apostle Paul reminds young Timothy of this, right? He says, for there is one God. There is one mediator between God and men. And it is the man, Jesus Christ. During the time of the Reformation, Luther and the Reformers fought for a return to the truth of Christ in Christ alone. Now, the Roman Catholic Church does believe and did believe that we are saved by Christ's death on the cross. But they want to add to that sacrifice. Uh, they believe that Mary participated in the pain of Christ's sacrifice. Uh, so she takes part of that as well. They believe that the Pope then mediates between God and man. Uh, they believe that good works and participating in the church's sacraments are necessary for receiving God's grace. So there's a lot of things that we must do, including what Christ has done. And there's one simple word that means everything when it comes to the solace, and that is alone. Alone. See, the Roman Catholic Church, they added and. It was et in Latin. It was and. They, they say, well, where alone should be inserted, we're going to say, well, it's Christ and. It's grace and. It's faith and. It's still happening today in many circles in evangelical Christianity. But brothers and sisters, let me remind you that anything added or subtracted from these five truths, from the five solas, is the distortion of the gospel and outside of true Christian faith. And it starts first and foremost with knowing the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's why he is central to this truth. Calvin is hopeful here. I'm going to read a quick quote by him. He says, For how comes it that we are carried out about with so many strange doctrines, but because the excellence of Christ is not perceived by us? For Christ alone makes all 
all other things suddenly vanish. Hence, there is nothing that Satan so much endeavors to accomplish as to bring on mists with the view of obscuring Christ. Because he knows that by this means the way is opened up for every kind of falsehood. Basically saying, if you get Christ wrong, it is an entryway to every other type of falsehood. He says, this therefore is the only means of retaining as well restoring pure doctrine to place Christ before the view as he is with all his blessings that his excellence may be truly perceived. See, we've got to have Christ alone. Without Christ alone, there is no Christianity. Without Christ alone, we have nothing to place our faith on. And as we look at our text today, we see that Calvin and the reformers were not the first who made this resolve to preach Christ alone. And as we look at verses 12 and 13 of chapter 4 of Acts, I want to give us an outline, okay? I'm going to give us four headings that we're going to kind of uh, evaluate this text and uh, in the, looking through the lens of solus Christus. One, we're going to see the sufficiency of Christ. The sufficiency of Christ. Two, we will see the exclusivity of Christ. The exclusivity of Christ. Three, we will see the necessity of Christ. The necessity of Christ. And then four, we'll kind of see this case study, right? Because we, we see that John and Peter, they're in front of the Sanhedrin. Then we're going to get to see what the result was of them proclaiming Christ. So the fourth heading is the result of proclaiming solas Christus. What is the result if we stick, if we're dogmatic in saying that, hey, it is only by Christ that one is saved. What's the result of that? The sufficiency, the exclusivity, the necessity, and the result. Let's look at verse 12. Peter, in his presentation here, starts off. He says, and there is salvation. Amen. <laughs> because, brothers and sisters, we need salvation. Now, this brings us to our first point here. He says there is salvation. Uh, the word is is a verb that expresses existence or a state of being. So what Peter is essentially saying is that salvation is something that, guess what, it now exists. It is here. It has been accomplished. Uh, if I were to say that, you know, this is a stage, uh, it would have to be here. If I were to say that this is a podium, it would have to exist. Peter's proclamation is that, hey, there is now salvation. Uh, here we see the sufficiency of Christ on full display. Because we see that salvation has 
been accomplished. Because Peter says, hey, now there is salvation. And brothers and sisters, that is the greatest news of all. Salvation is here. It is available. And it is all due to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And this begs the question, right? Well, what is salvation? And salvation is defined both negatively and positively. Negatively, uh, we are saved from harm, right? If I see you walking in the parking lot and a car is flying through and you don't see it coming and I push you out of the way aggressively, I'm saving you from harm that's coming. And we'll talk about uh, your scrapes and stuff later, but there's harm that is coming. And positively, we're saved to something. We're saved for something. Uh, if you save money for a special occasion, uh, you're saving for something. You're putting something away. Some of y'all are like, man, I wish I had some money to save. I, I get it, right? You save. Saved to, we're saved for. So in the same way, Christ saves us from eternal punishment we deserve because of our sins. And we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a moment. But he saves us for something. He saves us for perfect relationship with holy creator God for all of eternity. My four-year-old uh, Zion and I, we rehearse the gospel uh, frequently. And when you ask him, Zion, what is the gospel? He's been taught to say this. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ died to set us free from our sins and make us right with God. See, we're saved from and we're saved Two. So basically, Jesus saves us from God for God. We're saved. And if you're not saved, if you have not took hold of the salvation that is available to you, my plea to you today is to cry out to God. How does he do this? Well, Mark 10, 45 says, for even the son of man, Jesus Christ, he came not to be served. He doesn't need anything from us, but to serve and give his life. Jesus Christ gives his life a ransom for many. First Peter 3, 18 tells us, for Christ also suffered once. For sins. One time. It's sufficient. He did it. He says the righteous for the unrighteous. That he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. See brothers and sisters we are saved. And made alive. And brought to God. Hebrews 9.28 So Christ having been offered, how many times? Once, the all-sufficient Savior. 
once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly awaiting for him. He's coming back to get us. Praise God. There are many more texts, but the point is clear. Jesus Christ alone has provided salvation. It is here. There's nothing that you need to add. There's nothing you could add. Jesus Christ is the only all-sufficient Savior. This is the Reformer's plea. Brothers and sisters, I would pray that that would be our plea. But we also see that there is an exclusivity of Christ. So he's not only the all-sufficient, he is the only. Verse 12, again, says, There is salvation, that's what we just looked at, in who? In no one else. No one else. For there is no other name under heaven. It says like, it doesn't matter where you are. There, there's no other name. It's Jesus. And he's given. He's given among men. I mean, look at these words. No other name. No one else. I think Peter is pretty clear that Jesus Christ is the only way to obtain the salvation he has just pronounced. Contrary to many popular beliefs today, not all roads lead to heaven. There are not many paths to God and you've just got to kind of find your own way. Uh, all religions don't lead to God. Everyone doesn't just end up okay in the end. That's not what Scripture teaches. And it, it saddens me to, to, to say that. It, it saddens me that there are so many that believe that. And those that preach the exclusivity of Jesus are often accused of being closed-minded, narrow-minded, or, or you're harsh, and you know, you're just not open to, to other things. But brothers and sisters, we must remember our Savior's words himself. Jesus says, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one, nobody, no one, not some, not maybe, no one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, even John 3, 16 when, when, when taken and really looked at theologically, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him. There's a clause there. Must believe in him, in Jesus Christ. They should not perish. They will have eternal life. It isn't Jesus plus money it isn't Jesus plus success. It isn't Jesus plus health. It isn't Jesus plus good relationships. It isn't Jesus plus other so-called gods. It isn't Jesus plus good works. It isn't Jesus plus church membership. It is Jesus Christ. He alone has the power to save. I mean, side note, that should compel us to evangelize. 
Uh, we're going to hear shortly from uh, at the end of service from a friend of mine who is uh, about to answer the call to, to go to every tribe, tongue, and nation and, and be a missionary. And, and this is why. Because he believes this. Because he believes that there are people that need to hear the way, the truth, the life. You need to know that there is salvation and his name is Jesus and there is no other way. See, brothers and sisters, we believe in him. We believe in Christ and Christ alone. Peter says there is no one else. There is no other name other than Jesus that has been given under heaven. That's nowhere. That can save And we must remember that Jesus is the only way to salvation. If we ever cower and we fail to get this right, when faced with opposition, we will fail to present the gospel with clarity. We will cause more harm than good. We must get this right. Well, what if they think I'm mean? What if they think I'm harsh? What if they think I'm, I'm closed-minded, right? You know, I don't want people to just think that, that I'm, I'm off-putting and, and I'm rude and I'm harsh to people. I don't want them to think I'm arrogant. I want you to think of it like this. How cruel would it be if you knew someone that was about to drive a car down a mountain? And just by chance, you knew that for a fact, those brakes did not work on that vehicle. And, and said person loves this car. I mean, it gives them purpose. They love this vehicle. They love every time they get in it. It makes them feel great. Uh, they get all the looks. People like them. They, they enjoy being in this car so much. And it will crush them if you say, hey, you can't get in that car. Because they love it. It's, it. it's brought them so much joy. How cruel would one have to be to not stop them? To do everything they could to stop them from getting in that car, driving downhill where they have to have brakes. stopping them from going. I mean, how much more cool would someone have to be when it comes to things of eternal significance? This is eternity we're talking about. We must get this right. We must not cower for fear of opposition. Must not cower for fear of ridicule. We must stand firm. We must be forthcoming. We must be honest. We must speak the truth in love. That's what truth is. It's love. When you speak truth, you're showing love. That's what this world needs to hear. There's one person who provides salvation and his name is Jesus 
And brothers and sisters, my prayer is that we would be a people who honor Him by proclaiming this truth every opportunity we have. Peter goes on to highlight the necessity of Jesus Christ as the Savior. So He's the sufficient, He's the only, and you need Him. There's a necessity here. This isn't incidentals. This is fundamental. He goes on and he says, verse 12, there's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We must be saved. Notice the tense of the wording here. This is passive, right? We must be saved. Uh, This goes hand in hand with the biblical teaching of sola gratia, that we are dead in our trespasses, as Ephesians 2 tells us. We cannot do anything apart from God's intervention. Uh, Yesterday, uh, I'm going to try not to get emotional and say this because it kind of shook me. Uh, yesterday, uh, my family and I went to a, a swimming pool with a friend of ours. And um, I was standing right there and I'm getting Zion and Titus ready for the pool. And uh, Zion had walked down the stairs and uh, he didn't have his floaty on yet. And uh, that's, that was okay because he was at a, a height that he could still touch the bottom. But Titus just followed him. And, and Titus isn't as tall as Zion. So Titus just went on down and he was, he was underwater. And by God's grace, thankfully, he wouldn't have been there without us there. Uh, I was right there, didn't think, I had my keys in my pocket, phone, just jumped in the water, right? Jerked him up. Put him on. He was shook up. He's like, whoa, what just happened? But man, he had to be saved. That dude can't swim a lick. Like a rock, right? Don't. He had to be saved. And, and that's our condition. We must be saved. We have to be saved. We are helpless. I mean, unlike Titus, who could still kind of move around, we are dead. Dead. In our trespasses. Someone has to act on our behalf. We must be saved. We play no part in our salvation. We don't, we don't add something to it. We're not doing okay. And then, you know, Jesus comes along and, and, and pushes us up to where we need to go. Jesus works. God works in and through Christ and moves in and through us. There's nothing we can do. There's an old story about a young boy who goes off to vacation Bible school. And he comes home and he tells his mom and dad, I've been saved. I've been saved. And his parents were kind of skeptical because of his age. And so they said, well, okay, son, let's, let's talk about this. Let's, let's work through this. So after dinner, 
The story goes that the young boy and the parents sat down and they have a conversation. And his dad asked me, he says, well, 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 tell me, like, what do you mean that you got saved? He's like, well, you know, I, I did my part and God did his part. And the father looks at him and like, ah, I, I, I knew it probably was too good to be true. And he says, well, son, why don't you explain what you mean here? What, what do you mean by this? idea that you did your part and God did his part. He said, well, I did the sinning and God did the saving. Brothers and sisters, we add nothing to our salvation but the sin that made it necessary. God does the saving. And we must be saved. We need salvation. And what are we saved from? John's 3, 36 is, is pretty clear. Just whoever believes, there's that salvation, that salvific term here. Whoever believes in the Son, exclusivity of Jesus Christ, has eternal life. So you, if you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Remains on him. See, we are born sinners. Naturally, we are children of wrath, meaning we are under the righteous and just judgment of God because of our offenses. And in order to take us from children of wrath to children of God, the penalty of our sin has to be paid. God would not be a just and holy, perfect God if he let sin go unpunished. I used this analogy uh, with some basketball players recently when we were talking through uh, this idea of, of God's wrath. And the if you think about it, if you've ever been on a sports team, or maybe just in your job, if you have a coach and you're on a sports team, or maybe you have a boss, and, and say on the sports team, right, there's one person that continually just disobeys coach and just does whatever he wants. He's out there, and we'll use basketball because that's what I'm most familiar with, and he's just, you know, shooting half-court shots all the time. He's trick shot, and he's doing all the things, Right? And coach is like, hey, uh, that's not the game plan. You should probably not do that. But, but say coach just lets him continue to do whatever he wants. He stays all on the court. He shoots whenever he wants. He does where he doesn't play defense. Ignores everything coach says. Would that coach be a good coach? Absolutely not. He better get him out of the game sit him on the bench, and not put him in until he starts listening to coach. But also in the same line of thought, what are the other players going to think of coach? He's not doing what he says he would do. In the same line of thought, God cannot look past sin. God cannot 
let sin go unpunished. There must be a ransom. There must be a payment. And you and I could not fulfill the payment owed to holy creator God. Here comes Jesus. See, Jesus stands in our stead. He lives the perfect life that we couldn't live. He takes on the punishment that we deserve, dying the death that we all deserve so that we can have the life that we don't deserve. We get a life, the eternal perfection with the creator of the universe, the one that loves you, the one that knows you, the one that created you. You get to spend eternity with him. This isn't something that you can accomplish. This isn't something that you just need a little help with. It isn't something that you can do on your own. Isaiah 53 tells us, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was pierced for you. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And his wounds, with his wounds, we are healed. Like sheep, we have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. We like and we want what we want. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Praise be to God. Brothers and sisters, this is the Christ we proclaim and bow to. He's Lord. He's Savior. He has earned the title Lord and Savior alone. Salvation is by way of Jesus Christ and nothing else. And this salvation is necessary. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. May God grant us the boldness of Peter in this moment when he was faced with opposition. Would he grant us the boldness to proclaim that as well? As we close real quickly... I want to look at the result of Peter's declaration of Solus Christus in the face of this powerful group. Because once again, many would say, right, like, well, man, if, if I stand on this truth, like, what will people think? Here's what they thought. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And this is key. And they recognized, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They see these ordinary dudes. They weren't trained like they were. They weren't trained on the law and 
Ordinary guys, fishermen. It says that they give them the, they see the boldness that these brothers speak of. They proclaim Christ. They stand firm. Clarity. Authority that had to come from someone else. Remember, it says the Spirit was at work in Peter, working. The result was that the power of Jesus was made known. The power of Christ. See, that's the goal, right? <laughs> it's not that, man, we, we're, we figured it out and you haven't. He said, no, by God's grace, we have been saved. Nothing that we have done. By his power, we proclaim. Christ and Christ alone. See, he gets the glory. Here we see it's not their credit. It's his credit. It's all about him. And would we be a people that they say they've been with Jesus. They've been with Jesus. Charles Spurgeon gives us a helpful quote as we close. He says, My hope lives not because I am not a sinner. <laughs> like, I haven't figured it out. I'm still making mistakes. But because I am a sinner for whom Christ died. My trust is not that I am holy, but that being unholy, He Christ is my righteousness. My faith rests not upon what I am or shall be or feel or know, but in what Christ is and what he has done and he is doing now for me. Hallelujah. Amen. Solus Christus. In Christ alone And that be the heart of our church. And we proclaim with boldness. And will we stand firm in that promise that he is at work, has done the work, and it is finished. Let's pray.